up new buildings, we're knocking down the old. We're working in the summer heat and in the winter cold. And the labour power we sell, me boys, for a hard and weekly pay, produces mighty profits for the greedy MBA. And whether we were born here or born in Italy, in Greece, in Spain or Ireland, in England or Fiji, we all of us are workers united. We must stand until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our land. Welcome to Creatures of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews with the people who made the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria since the 1960s. These podcasts are sponsored by the Concrete Gang in cooperation with Community Radio 3CR. And now part two of our interview with Donnie Rust. And folks, I hope you're enjoying uh, series five of Creatures of the Industry. Yes, indeed, you're listening to Creatures of the Industry, and our creature today, and a stalwart of the industry, I might add, Donnie Rust. So we're now at that stage in your uh, career, just making a quid, project hire, how many years all up? I worked for him. Yep. Probably five and a half, six years. Yeah. Project Tire. I can't remember where I went after that. This is not a police interview. It's okay. I, I, I do not remember. I cannot remember. But I finished up working for down the track a bit later. I was, uh, it was actually I got a start during D-Reg, D, during D-Reg with Sleepy Peter Owen. Tower Crane Specialist. That's right. He was the only bloke who would give me a job. Now, just before we get to Sleepy and Tower Crane Specialist, which is really a, if you like, a parallel to Project Hire. So yep. you didn't actually change your uh, the direction of your career. No, no. no. I, enjoy, I enjoyed the work. I yeah. did. Yeah. I should say at this point, that sometimes you didn't always sit in the cabin of the crane pulling the levers. Sometimes you just sat there, um, particularly on a costane job. Another company that came in was going to change the yeah. world and left the country with its tail between its legs. Yes. This is one of the, uh, shall we say, most notorious, most celebrated Everything, everything. Uh, <laughs> all of the above, yes. We're talking about uh, Donnie's uh, experience during D-Reg with Costain and that was uh, down Market Street, wasn't it? I was – there was one in Market Street. I was in William Street. Oh, that's right. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yep. And D-Reg was a uh, fairly dramatic time. Yes. They wanted to um – Exterminate, put it that way, builders' labours. They didn't want them. Yep. And normally would never bar of it. And the way to get rid of the Builders' Labourers Federation, which were considered to be a thorn in the side of the uh, builders and their profits, 
was to get rid of builders' labourers and basically incorporate the membership of the BLF into other unions and obviously with the uh, concept of multi-skilling so that eventually maybe the uh, trades would do most of the work as part of their job description. So a carpenter, for example, would not only be driving the nails but he'd also be carting the wood and he'd be carting the wood and he'd be... uh, doing a bit of steel work and a bit of concreting and, and so on and so yeah. forth. But with uh, crane crews, the idea was to incorporate them into the FEDFA, yeah. which was a traditional um, semi-skilled union and basically covered mobile cranes uh, and plant and equipment, uh, which was power-driven. And so I thought it would be a nice idea to... Uh, Put people like your good self into the FEDFA, and uh, like a lot of builders, labourers didn't agree. No, it's true. So let's get to the uh, the core of the issue. Why did you stay up in the crane? How did that happen? How was you uh, didn't you weren't just there one day and thinking, oh, stuff this. I'll just sit here for a while and was, uh, see uh, what happens. It was one of uh, Johnny Cummins's. Brighter ideas, put it that way. Um, we'd, um, Only as good as your last blue. Yeah. We decided a week before yep. what was going to happen. Uh, we didn't tell anyone. Uh, I went up in the crane with Johnny Secker in William Street. The one in Market Street was um, Killer Kane, the Black Rat, Billy Kenny, and Bruce... I think his last name was. I think his first name was Bruce. I can't remember his last name. There was four up in that crane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, I worked with him too. I can't remember his surname. Grey moustache. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he had his mate Ray with him all the time. Yeah. Was it Rainsford or something like that? No, it doesn't matter, folks. So this was a planned operation. Yep. As. Well, this could be planned, and the idea was to go up in the crane, uh, break Costains, and we'd win the blue. But more about deregistration, and yeah. we'd beat Costains, and they would sign. They would say that we didn't have to join the FED and, and things like that. But we went up in the crane at Smoker on the Monday, me and John. I think other bikes went up at the same time. Johnny wanted to go up Sunday night, and I said, no, they locked the trap door with a chain and lock, and so I said, wait till Monday morning. Well, once they come there for smoke, we'll go up. And that's what happened. And then the next time he's seen anyone come up to town, was the coppers. <laughs> right, so it's Monday morning. You're looking out over Melbourne. Yep. In fact, you're looking out over the Yarra River. And uh, in those days... Um, no, I was, I was in William Street. Sorry. So you couldn't see the Yarra? No. Right, Hong Kong Bank. Was. Oh, of course. Sorry. Now, now I'm now I'm getting my head around it. Now I'm remembering Market Street was different again. Yeah, and so you're up there. You take much up in way of supplies or nothing, nothing, nothing. How long were you expecting to stay up there? A day. A day. Yeah. Well, that probably makes sense that you didn't take anything up yeah. with you. How many days do you spend up there? Um, we finished up. They got us down Thursday night, nearly midnight, half past eleven. Something like that. Yeah. And 
I take it that you had to improvise with uh, food and water? Um, yep. Um, we got a bag of food and some drinks from someone on a building across the road and I just hooked Jib down to it and they opened the window and hooked the bag up and we come in and that's the coppers really hated that and so did the builder because we, could, we had supplies and we could stay there. That really shit them off. Righto. Now, is the power still on? Uh, not to the crane, no. no. So it would have been a bit cool? No, back then they had a, a heater in a crane, just like a car. All oh, right. The whole, whole, like an old car heater, it ran off the yeah. motor. All oh, right. So you had to keep the motor ticking over? Yeah, to keep warm. Yeah. Okay. So lots of diesel smoke everywhere? Yeah. <laughs> I used to turn it on a couple of hours of a night time. Oh, right. Okay. So we've got through Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. There's a bloody lot of publicity going on. Yeah. The media was full of it and the government was full of it. Because at that point, um, it might have been a Labor government, but they were hardly sympathetic. No. John Cain was uh, not one of uh, Norm's biggest fans and vice versa. Or never was Steve Grab. Ah, uh, well, that's another matter to conjure up in due course. But do you have any memories of what was going on? Did you know even know what was going on? I mean, mobile phones weren't that prevalent at the time. Was there much communication for you? It was uh, not really. No. Um, after work, most days there'd be a group of blokes on the other side of the. Yeah. The road in William Street. Um, no, there wasn't much communication at all, really. We just, me and John decided. Sitting like a sh- couple of shags on a rock. Yeah, we'll stay here, see what happens. <laughs> and uh, did our good friends Costains have any communication with you? Uh, they come up one night, the, f- the project man, one of the pro- foremen on the job, whatever you want to call him, he came up and um, served me for a writ to get out the job. Um, I said, see you later, Tony, when I come down, I'll talk to you, sort of thing. Didn't take much notice of it. Mm. And then the next people we've seen were SOG. And that was on Thursday night? Yep. What time do you reckon? I reckon it was half past 11 because we were in Pentridge at 12 o'clock. <laughs> Going by memory. It was probably warmer in the crane. Anyway. Um, uh, we, got a, we got a good welcome at Pentridge. Yep. Um, hot, a hot roast meal was cooked already. Back then, the screws were bluing with cane, and they he, they didn't like him neither. Yeah. No one liked him. Mm. So we were treated okay at Pendridge. I got no qualm oh. about that. Yeah. So you're in the remand. Yeah. Now, but it is a bit scary mm. going there because you don't know who you're going to get locked up with, and <laughs> you're, you're sharing cells, and it's twelve o'clock in the morning, you know, midnight, and you're going to go and wake someone up, or you don't know if he's a Axe murder or whatever, wherever he is, you don't know. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. <laughs> uh, we won't go down that memory lane either. Now, um, when the SOG came, yeah. how did they get access? They come up the, the tower, climbed up the tower. Uh, we didn't have the trapdoor locked. Mm. We had a bucket of piss on the trapdoor. <laughs> and uh, they got up there, they maced us. Yeah. We shifted the bucket of piss, uh, let them up, and they maced us. And um, so, even though you weren't 
plane up in, in a physical sense. You were occupying the, the yeah. crane, but you weren't undertaking uh, counter-physical uh, manoeuvres. No, no, we weren't doing anything. Was... You didn't even drop the piss bucket on them. No, we didn't. Which is more, I can, more than I can say for another uh, particular incident with the crane uh, and a BWIU organiser. But anyway, moving right along, um, they maced you. Yeah. What was that experience like? Um, it's not very nice. Um, they maced us and then tied our hands behind our backs with, I would say they were t- cable ties or something, things like that, you know. And they said, um, how do you want to go down, over the side or down the ladder? I said, I'll take the fucking ladder, mate, thank you. So they forced us down the tower and into the paddy wagon and out to yeah. Coburg. Now, that's the dramatic story that was featured very much on, on the news uh, services and so on, lots of film and stuff, well orchestrated from a media perspective. What was the wash-up for, for you and John after a good night's sleep at uh, Pentridge? Uh, we had the court the next day. Supreme Court? I think so, yeah. Um, we were charged with... Oh, Maggie's. Eh? You were charged. It wasn't, it wasn't the case of breach of court orders or anything. No, they charged it with hijacking a crane, $250,000 worth of lost production, mm. uh, trespass, and a theft of $50 worth of diesel because we started a crane up to keep warm. So you offered to pay the $50 and forget and the rest. And we didn't pay to pay anything. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you th- feel about that? Oh, it was a bit of a shock. Um, you don't know. They like throwing it all at you, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Now, just in terms of how not only you responded, but how did that affect the family? Because all this was pumped up, to, as I just suggested before, to the max on the on the media. Uh, it was a big political issue. It was an industrial issue. It was it was everything at the time. Yeah. Biggest story that had hit Melbourne in a couple of years and it was pretty bloody dramatic. Police everywhere and all the rest of the shit. And Steve Crabb going on that this was going to save uh, the building industry from the evil builders, labourers, etc., etc. Now, how do you feel? Would have been a shock, I would have thought. Oh, of course, it was a shock. Yeah. You don't, you don't. We don't expect to stay in a crane for four days for 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 day one. You know, yeah. like um, the SOG coming up and then getting charged. And as you said, it was it was all political stuff and else. They just want they just wanted us gone mm. and Normie gone, mm. the general, mm. and, and they were, they would do anything to do it. Well, basically, not only just get rid of. Builders Labourers Federation, but also intimidate Builders Labourers members into willingly going over to yeah. other unions and pretending nothing had happened. Yeah. But how was the family going through all of this? Um, the little the kids didn't understand because they were too young to understand. My missus was a bit of a wreck, but she meant she went and met um, Killer Kane's wife, Margaret. Yes, Margaret um, Rosie. I can't remember some of the other women. I remember their, I remember their faces, but I can't remember their names. And they sort of supported each other, which was good, you know. Yeah. Now, you're fronted court. Yeah. What happened next? Um, they also wanted to take me tickets off me. 
DLI tickets. So he didn't only miss a job, he couldn't get another job. Yeah, like, yeah. Batlin Billy Davis got up and gave me a, ref- a reference. Billy Davis was a organiser for the plumbers. In fact, he was assistant secretary, wasn't he? I think he stage. was then, yeah. yeah. And he said, you've charged this bloke with hijacking a crane. He said, last time I looked out the window, it was still fucking bottled to the ground. <laughs> I don't know where it's gone, but it's still there. <laughs> so that's bullshit, that one. Which was to that effect. But um, it all got sorted out. Uh, we had to go to court for the to take my tickets off me. And our law people then was Lupo Lenny. The one and only. Yeah. And a very good cheerio to one of our listeners, Lenny Hartnett. Yeah. The one and only. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, we found out that they'd, they'd already made up their mind to take my tickets off me. And I went to court and we got up, up in front of the DLI and whoever was there. there and uh, he said, this is already prejudged. We're not staying here. And he showed him the judgment that they haven't even read out. Mm. He, read it, he showed him what they were going to read out and sort of passed over then. I kept my tickets. And we're going to say we don't know where the copy of that uh, document came from. I don't know. Wouldn't have a clue, mate. <laughs> now, next, you're out of a job. Yeah. Still got your tickets. You've got all those years of experience. Who wanted you? Only Peter, only Sleepy. And how did Peter, I know the story, but how did Peter go with uh, the FEDFA, particularly camper van? Um, I wouldn't have thought it was easy because he had a few, uh, well, shall we say, uh, problem children already on the books. Yeah. Um, I had to change, I had to join the FED. To get a job with Peter, he told me, he said. Yep. And the bloke had come out, I can't remember, he come from Western Australia. Yes, Colin. Colin, that's right. He came up and signed me up and um, I was on the job with Mick Hanrahan. Hammerhead. Yep. Hammerhead. And he, Mick said to me, come on, Donny, we're going to do this. I said, no, nah, I'm not fucking joining, can't. He said, yeah, anyway, I was with Mick when I had to do it, yeah. And Peter kept you going? Yep. At that time I worked for Peter for about, oh, maybe seven, eight years. Always busy, always. we done a lot of work, it was good. But he, he, he wanted to get out of it at the end and that's, uh, I was on a job at, they'd hired a 350 off Costains and that was out at Monash Hospital for Lewis's. And I was out there and Peter come up and said, I've got no more work for you, but Lewis is going to put you back on. So I just stopped over to Lewis's. Yeah. And renewed your uh, relationship with Bobby? Renewed it, yeah. Yeah. It's a small industry in yeah. many ways and... The wheel turns, mate. And everyone knows everybody. And probably just as well. Yeah. I only remember the bad things. I don't remember the good things. <laughs> <laughs> Right, now at this point we're well into the 90s. Yeah. And at this point we're also uh, looking late 80s, early 90s at the amalgamation of the FEDFA into what became the CFMEU. Mm-hmm. And I might say also the point at which the Builders Labourers Federation had a 
argument going on in its own ranks about what to do next. Yeah. Because the, uh, for those that don't know the story, the interstate branches of the Federal Union were also registered as state unions in West Australia, South Australia, Queensland, New South Wales. The only place I think they, we had no separate state-based union because of a different system was Victoria. And uh, the question became one of whether there was going to be an amalgamation of the existing BLF branches into the CFMEU and whether Victoria and the then Victorian leadership, which was John Cummins, etc., were going to be also incorporated into the CFMEU. It was a fairly traumatic time. Yeah. How do you remember that time? <sighs> Traumatic. Um, I'm putting it on you, I know. I know. But it's, it's, in retrospect, it was probably a shocking time for anyone who had a commitment to not just trade unionism but also to unionism in the industry. Yeah. And the people who were involved and how they saw things and – me getting told by someone in Sydney who'd never probably ever thought two seconds about builders' labourers in Victoria, it was it was a bloody hard time. Mm-hmm. But how did you feel? Um, pretty shit, actually. Yeah. Uh, you've got a set of principles and you try to go by them. And this, that, they would, how can I put it? I will, I'll call them us and them. That's what I'll say, us and them. Them. They were just they were chained on the whiff. Just they would change the rules just to suit themselves. Uh, it just didn't gel with me. And the the ructions in the the BLF. How did you go? How did you feel about that? I stayed with a member to the end, right at the end. Yep. Um, you got you got the piece of paper that said you're a stalwart. Yep. I've still got my old my last ticket. Yes. Still got me. Union number? Yep. Um, Mine's 1892 for anyone who wants to look. 5622, me. Because <laughs> mine's better than yours only because they reissued numbers. <laughs> uh. So, so how do you feel about, let's, let's be blunt, how do you feel about the head-to-head between Norm and John? Must have been hard. It was hard because I like both of them. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the way... Normally went, um, but I knew John had to do what he had to do, put it that way. That is actually a pretty good summary. Yeah. And probably it was a view that most of us took. Yeah. Um, there was a bit of fun on the way through, I must say, uh, sticking it up the uh, FEDFA in 89 when they had the uh, referendum on uh, – whether the FEDFA in Victoria was going to join the BWIU, that was that was a bit of fun. Mm-hmm. Remember that? No, no. The vote? Oh, yes, I do. The vote. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but then within a couple of years, the vote was taken again and um, this time it got up. Mm. How did you feel about that at the time? Because that really was getting close to the end for the BLs. Oh, well, you could see it was going to happen. Um, you could see the the, the BLs didn't have any members left. You had no clout anymore. You, you knew it was going to happen. That was, 
but you didn't want it to happen. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. Okay, that's fair enough. In the end, for those people that don't know the story, the rest of the BLF uh, in all those state-based unions basically said, led by Ronnie Owens, who was the last Federal Secretary of the BLF, you either take Victoria as part of the deal or the rest of us won't come, aren't coming. So he was playing poker because he it it wouldn't have been terribly sure that he could have you know, carried that off. But yeah. it worked. In the end, people sued for peace. There was a change in the uh, CFMEU leadership in Victoria. Martin Kingham uh, was coming in and other people who had been there through the the most bitter parts of the D-Reg uh, were going. How did you feel at that point? I, I, I still couldn't, to me, I still couldn't handle hmm. no BLF. Yeah. That's just the way it was for me. Yeah. Um, it was emotional. You, hmm. you know, you look, like I said, the first time I got the arse, Mickey Lewis come on the job and you could see what the union could do for you. Hmm. And you didn't know what these... You people could do, couldn't do, or could do, but you knew what the BLF could do. Mm. I put it that like that. Yeah. Yep. Now, over that period in the early nineties, uh, uh, you were still working in the industry. Still yep. working for Sleepy. Yeah. I wasn't working in the industry at the time because I was less than welcome. Uh, but so around ninety six, John. Cummins would, had become uh, an official of the CFMEU mm-hmm. and to my mind things were starting to change. Yes. The amount of work was also picking up and I'm not going to say the world was perfect but it was at least had some possibilities. Uh, how did you feel, say, let's go to 96 and it's a, a good year because North Melbourne won a premiership so you should have been a bit cheerful. Yep. Uh, but where were you, 96, and if you can remember, and how did you feel about the industry and 90, the union and so on? 96, I was, like you said, I was with Sleepy. He was doing the cranes at South Yarra, Jack G. Um, I wasn't on that job all the time. No, that was, that was earlier. No, Jack G was 80s. Yeah, that was earlier. Sorry, I mixed up. No, I was with Peter. Um, we basically done around... South Yarra was the uh, jam factory and a whole lot of jobs like that. Yeah, no, yeah, I got that wrong arm. I was with Peter, we'd do just cranes around the city, St Kilda Road. Yeah. He um, he started to get a bit big. He bought a yard out of Altona. Before that, he shifted into Costain's old yard. There's a bit, a bit <laughs> of justice there. Um, then he got his own yard next door and he yeah, kicked on from there. Peter was good to work for. You worked hard, but it was good to work for. And how did you feel about the rest of it? Uh, you just had to accept it. Yeah. That was all you could do. If you, you wanted to work, accept it. If you didn't want to work, don't. You know, if you don't want to do it, you follow the rules. Just don't do it then. But, um, yeah, I wanted to work. You needed money. Everyone needs money. And I liked the work, so I had to accept it. But I, I, didn't, get, I didn't go to my next union meeting. I never went to the FED one, ever, until Van Camp left which is early uh, 2000s. Yeah. He walked out and I walked in. <laughs> he first met and he didn't chair. 
I went to the next one because Tommy Watson come up to me the next day and he said, how come you were there? I said, I wouldn't go into the same room as that piece of fucking shit. Words like that. Yes. Because that's all he was. Totally justified. Now, in terms of the industry and what you're experiencing on the job, I'll summarise it that 96 on work picked up. Yeah. I mean, it's probably understandable given the number of people who are actually coming to Melbourne that work had to pick up and apartments were becoming a serious part of the profile of the industry. There was money around. There was probably a lot of money around and there was a change of government in the early 2000s, state government, and they started putting money into uh, infrastructure projects and so on because the city was just growing. What you were doing on the cranes... What was your experience of the work, the change in the work, the good, the bad? The hours got longer. Um, like I said, they tell you they could have the crane at 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock, but you, you wouldn't get it till later. And it, it just kept getting longer and longer, the, the days. Um, you put up with it because you had to put up with it. But uh, you could see the ch- injuries, industry changed a bit. There was too much push-push. Um, there was too many arguments on the jobs and, like, in the 70s and 80s, you go, you go to work and laugh. You could, like, walk in the gate at 7 o'clock and go home at 4 o'clock and laugh nearly all day. But later on, nah, it got, it got too serious. And um, Late 80s was a, uh, was a boom and that was hard because it bloody wanted a lot of hours, but people used to find an excuse to go home. Yeah. yeah. But by the early 2000s, it was, well... We still are in Hyperville. It's just flat out. Yeah, it's never been so much bloody work. Even in the even in the gold rush, when it was the richest city in the world, Melbourne, it just seems the same way again since probably early two thousands. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to take the strain. Yeah, um, I fin- when I finished with Peter, I stayed with Lewis's out at the at the uh, uh, Modest Hospital. Sorry. And after that, I can't remember what I'd done. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember. But then I got to start with multiplex. Me and me and Ray Booth started the same day. Yep. What job? I started on Royal Domain in St Kilda Road, and then I went to. I didn't. I didn't finish that job. I stayed there a couple of months, maybe, and then I went to uh, Vic Point next to Etihad Stadium, and from there. I looked after the cranes on that job for Moldy's uh, coordinator and then I went to the showgrounds and then I got the arse Then I went back. Uh, take it that was because there wasn't any work? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, your head don't fit, that's what it is. Ah, oh, right, okay. But um, we're bo- For the listeners, we've both got beautiful heads and <laughs> <laughs> neither of us have fitted at various times. Yeah. Uh, they were, uh, went to the showgrounds, got the, the bullet after that, and then uh, I went back again from Ray put in a lot of work and Elias. Yep. And they took me back, and I think I got the f- flick once more. And then I'd done uh, – they tried it again, actually, but um, then I got about eight or nine years continuous, which was good. Yep. I, was, I was nearing 60, 65. And if I had got the arse, I wouldn't look for another job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I lasted till I was three days short of my 70th. 
That's when I give it away. And uh, bought a car of your dreams. I wanted one since I was 16. So <laughs> got one when I was 70. <laughs> but he didn't drive it in today, the listeners, but never mind. No, it's not a, a sunny day car, mate. Sunny day car. Now, just looking back, and we've heard your story because, to my mind, a lot of people who even work in the industry now don't understand the industry, what it was, how it changed, what's better, what's worse. What are the achievements and what are the losses that building workers have experienced over probably 50 years? And, you know, not all of us can say we were around in the 70s. Not all of us are going to be around in the 2030s. But it all adds to the story and that's why I... I like people to tell their stories their own way, but I also like putting it on people to reflect. Um, what do you think, looking back now on your experience in the industry, what are some of the best things? Pick three, four, whatever. And what are some of the worst things about the industry as you see it now? Things that need work or didn't do what they promised. Long service is probably the best. It might be one of the best. The 36-hour, 38 or 36-hour is good in principle, but no one does it. Um, if you don't work 56 hours a week, you don't get a job more or less, which is – it doesn't make sense to me. It's supposed so to if be you're a, having an RDO, they still get the hours somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. The pay is ec- excellent, the, the wages. A few conditions have gone. Um, like what? Rain time, wind time, going home, things like that went against my grain yep. because they were always there, yep. and it wasn't there for it wasn't for the people now to take them away because they never got them. It was people before them who got them, so that that should have stayed same. Should have, that's the way I looked at things, mm. but it doesn't work like that. I, I know it doesn't work like that. So you've got to give up a few things to get wages. Mm. But if you can't live on the the wages you get now, there's something wrong with you, mate, because it's fucking good money. Well, when it comes to cronage, I'll put it on you. What's good and what's not so good? What promised a lot and maybe didn't deliver? How do you, how do you see cronage? You've spent most of your life on the cranes. In fact, thinking about it just for a second, you've actually spent not most of your working life on cranes, but you've spent most of your life on cranes. Um, Maldives, I was, at Maldives I finished up on the forklift. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't want me on a crane because Form 700 used to run it and I, I couldn't work for them. If you work on the crane, you might be, you, you might be employed by Maldiplex, but you're working for Form 700. Well, that's clearly that's, something that... Yeah, uh, that needs to change. Needs to, yeah. The builders have to... Step up and say, well, we run the job. My name's written on the side of the crane. I'll tell you when you can fucking have it. Not when you tell me I can have it. That's got to change, but I don't think it ever will. Well, perhaps the only way it changes is if uh, the form workers get themselves into trouble and then they might be uh, capable, the builders might be capable of reasserting themselves. Yeah. Because, let's face it, just like a crane crew or any gang of people need to be coordinated and all on the same page, too many jobs, in my experience, 
in my observed experience, is too many jobs are not coordinated. They end up bad jobs, yeah. both for the people working <coughs> on them and also for the product that's produced. Usually, if a job starts off good, it'll finish good. Mm. If it starts off shit, it'll stay shit to the end. And then someone else is inheriting the problem. Yeah. What do you reckon, just looking back, that's all we can do now, us old blokes, what was probably the, the best experience you had in the industry over all the years? Oh. Something that just pops into your mind every now and then and you have a smile on your face and go, geez, that wasn't too bad. Oh, you got me now. Got me, Ralph. Um, Jesus. It's like you just said, it just pops in your head. Yeah. yeah. And I haven't got nothing in my head. At <laughs> oh, well. Oh, you, meet, you meet some good people, really good yeah. people. Probably the people the most. Um, Charlie Byrne. Yep. Yep. There you go. Couldn't find a, couldn't find a better bloke, Charlie. Yep. Never on the cranes, just happy-go-lucky. Yep. And never had a care ever in the world. Well, that's what I think back. Um, it's not all about me, folks. I'm sorry, but I'm just trying to pump uh, Donnie a bit. As you said, looking back at some of the people, some of them were bloody incredible. Yeah. I mean... As blokes you, you would meet and you may not see them for years and then suddenly they pop up again and it's like the gap didn't exist. Yeah. Charlie Burns certainly one of those. Yeah. There's plenty of other blokes that I remember looking back now and uh, some of them no longer with us. You mentioned a couple along the way, Billy Davis. Yeah. Top bloke. There are other blokes who are still hanging on by the skin of their teeth like Georgie Despard, what a character. Yeah. And the industry was full of those characters and, in fact, it was probably the only place they could uh, actually survive. Yes. But I'm not so sure that's so easy now. No, not now. Um, like I've been out of it three years now. But you could see the industry changing, like um, some for the good, some for bad, but it was a lot. There was no, con- there was no friendship, no camaraderie, what do you call it? Camaraderie. That's it. That's the word. There's none of that anymore. It's just everyone for themselves. That's the way I've yeah. always seen it. There was various periods over over the journey where we've had some, from a worker's perspective, maybe not from a boss's perspective, though even some of them get a bit more reflective when they think uh, how much they're salted away and uh, the backs of workers and maybe life wasn't so bloody bad. Mm. Cheerio to Dougie. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you never so, put in for the radio thing, neither, Doug. I didn't hear your name. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> now, a lot of people, maybe uh, looking back, would say, I'm glad I did it. Yep. Are you one of those people? Yeah. yeah. I had good times. You, don't, you had some shit times, but the good times far outweighed them. Yeah, we had some... Just looking back, folks, we've had some absolute shit experiences, the deregistration of the BLF, a lot of arguments, a lot of mistakes made. And I can think of a whole lot of people that used to be at the sit down the front of branch meetings who, uh, when the going got tough, didn't sit down the front of branch meetings. In yeah. fact, they didn't come to branch meetings. Yeah. But nevertheless, it's been, in this city, it's been a lot of work, a lot of work done, a lot of work done well. But um, it just doesn't have the vibe it used to have. No. And no. Like I said, the characters aren't there anymore. 
and the pressure, what they put on the blokes, what they expect in a day, I think is just too much. Don't have to, you don't have to have AI to have robots. No, mate. That's, that's right. That's the problem. Yeah. Anyway, I think uh, we've pe- perhaps gone down memory lane and we're starting to get a bit too nostalgic, so yeah. we better cut it short. And on behalf of the listeners, Donnie, thank you very much for making yourself available and sharing your experiences with us. And uh, this is going to be on air, and unfortunately... Everything that's said, unless it's seriously edited, <laughs> will be uh, kept on the uh, 3CR memory for all into the future. I've got nothing to hide, mate. That's it. And when they came looking for you down Williams Street, there was nowhere to hide. That's true. <laughs> nowhere to hide. Thank you very much, Thanks, Donnie Ralph. Rust. Thanks, mate. See ya. You have been listening to Creatures of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews about the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria since the 1960s. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And whether we were born here or born in Italy, in Greece, in Spain or Ireland, in England or Fiji, we all of us are workers united, we must stand until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our land. We faced deregistration, it backfired in the face. We're not fooled by arbitration, we won't stay in our place. We hit the bosses hard and fast to win and keep our gains and break a couple of concrete pours to back our lug of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky. We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed. Our builders' labour is a name to make a man feel